It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something with your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And a freaking platter with a fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, but it's just a gang from the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, but in the corner to put in a little secret devil, secret devil world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river of the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Dr. Bones and the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a castle of calm in a cacophonous world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, and I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the courageous couple, the spectacular spouses, the prodigious pair. And who are we? We are the guys that are going to make you keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a churlish chipmunk? Now, you don't want to be a churl, girl, because that means that you're rude in the surliest possible way. Bet you know some people like that. Not like us. We may sometimes tell people to go to blazes, but we always tell them in a way that makes them look forward to the trip. And here's our disclaimer. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Of course you should, but in tough times. Yes. In really tough times, you've got to show the world that you've got more sense than a barrel of biscuits and get the training and education that you need. And while you're at it, how about a quality medical kit as well? You need that, don't you? Well, there's no better place to get that kit than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never-equaled kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Compare them for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, and I mean anybody, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage for long-term survival. You want more proof? Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about them. And on top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings accounts. Just look at our special HSA-FSA section in the store. 
Oh, and please don't forget to subscribe to our website at doomandbloom.net to get special coupons in our newsletters. You'll be glad you did. Yep. Well, the school year, had that. <laughs> like my yep. 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 <laughs> what I said, right? <laughs> what he said. Yes, sir. Well, the school year has ended. Families are planning this summer's campouts. Oh, boy. Camping trips are a great way to create bonds and memories that will last a lifetime. Also a great way to get kids off their smartphones for a little while. Annoy the heck out of them, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but once they're in the great outdoors, you know what? They'll come around. At least most of them will, I think. A poorly planned trip, however, can become memorable, too, but in a very bad way, especially if somebody gets injured. And so that's something that we have to talk about. A few preparations will help you enjoy a terrific experience with the people you care about if you just come prepared. Now, if you haven't been camping much, don't start by trying to hike the entire Appalachian Trail or travel to Nepal to climb the Himalayas. There's enough fools doing that already. <laughs> right. If you read about all the bodies that they find and all the trash that's there, it is crazy, baby. So start by taking day trips to national parks or your local park or a local lake. Set up your tent, make a campfire, see how it goes when you don't have to stay in the woods at night. And if the results are a big thumbs up, well, then start planning your overnight outings. Now, whatever type of camping you do, always try to know the capabilities and the general health of the people that are in your party. Kids, elderly family members, you know, they're going to determine the limits of your activities. At least they should. Right. Because the more ambitious you are, the more likely that kids and olders are, oldsters are not going to be Oldsters. Able to, oh, that's cute. Oldsters. Oldsters. Yes. <laughs> I have a holster and an, old, an, Oldster. an oldster. That's right. Now, these guys, the kids, the geriatric folks, well, they're not going to be able to handle it if you're really ambitious about it. And injuries are the end result of overdoing it. You do not want to do that. That's important. Now, speaking of important, an important first step to a safe camping trip is knowledge about the weather and terrain that you're going to be encountering on the trip. Talk with park rangers, consult guidebooks, check out online sources. You know what? Some special issues that are going to be important to know about, they'll include things like temperature ranges that mm -hmm. you're going to be in, whether it's going to be rainy, whether it's go there's going to be snowfall. Of course, you're going to want to find out what's on the trails. Are, are the trails clearly marked? Are there campsite facilities? Uh, if the trails are not clearly marked, are they, are they clearly marked by bears, <laughs> bears or <laughs> bear poop? Well, you know, if that's the case, I think you want to know about that too. So plant, insect, animal issues, that's important. You want to know whether there's availability of clean water. If not, you're going to have to truck some in. And you have to figure out how you would get help in an emergency. There are medical risks to traveling in the great outdoors, especially without the ready access to modern medical help. And a very common error that campers make is just not bringing simple things like the right clothing, the right equipment for the weather and the, for the terrain. If you haven't planned for the environment that you're going to be camping in, you know what? You have made it your enemy and it's all your fault. That is silly. Although spring and fall have the most uncertainty with regards to temperature and weather, you can really encounter storms just about any time. And even if you're in the hills, that doesn't mean that you couldn't possibly wind up being in the path of a tornado. We talked about that last week. So these are some things that you need to understand what's going on with the weather. Now, 
in high elevations, can, there are a lot of conditions that are going to lead to wind chill factors and other weather kind of issues that could cause, let's say, hypothermia. If the temperature is 40 degrees, but the wind chill factor is 20 degrees, well, you lose heat from your body as if it were 20 degrees out. So it's important to be aware that temperatures at, at night also may be surprisingly cold. It may be relatively pleasant during the day, but at night, boy, it really can, especially inland, can be a big difference, a big temperature range between the hottest and the coolest temperature of the 24-hour period. Right. So in cold weather, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to have your family clothed in layers. And the layers, you might want to have a layer that is going to be resistant to water. Even summer rains can lead to a loss of body temperature if you're drenched. So you want to use clothing that's made of tightly woven, uh, if possible, water repellent material. You want protection against the wind. Uh, wool is excellent to have. Wool holds body heat better than cotton does. Actually stays can stay warm even when wet. Uh, there are some synthetic materials that are also good as well. Uh, if you're a skier, you know about Gore-Tex. That is something that is uh, really... Specifically made to help... Keep warmth keep in your warm, body. And yeah. it's, but it's lightweight, <laughs> which is really nice. Yes. Exactly. That's right. Now, of course... We're not talking mostly about cold weather. Now we're talking about the heat. If you're at the seashore or the lakefront in the summer, well, your main problem may be heat exhaustion, could be burns. So you want to make sure your family members wear sunscreen as well as hats and light cotton fabrics. Light reflects heat and light, so therefore it's good to wear light colors if you possibly can. Plan your strenuous activities for the mornings when it's cooler, that is important. Otherwise, you're going to wind up having people, your fo at least the folks that are not in tip-top shape, they may wind up getting heat exhaustion. That's important. In any type of weather, you always want to keep everybody well hydrated. Make sure you drink lots of fluids. That is important. Have enough for everybody in the group. Uh, dehydration is something that causes a rapid deterioration in physical condition in any kind of stressful situation, so it's really important. <clears throat> now, the most important item of clothing might just be your shoes, actually. If you've got the wrong shoes for the outing, you're going to regret it, most likely. If you're in the woods, high tops that you can fit your pants legs into, those are probably more appropriate to provide protection against things like snake bite. Now, in the summer, you're going to have a lot more snakes out and about and more active, so that's something that you're going to want to do. You're also going to be a little concerned about things like poison ivy. Uh, I think that these are some of the things that are common problems but can become major issues if you don't prepare for them. That is what is so important. If you go with lighter shoes, by the way, in hot weather, at least have good soles. The Vibram soles, V-I-B-R-A-M, these are great solid soles for the hiker or for the outdoorsman. So I definitely look for shoes that have Vibram soles. There's some special tips you got. And of course, choosing the right clothing isn't just for weather protection. If you have the kids wear bright colors, you'll have an easier time keeping track of their whereabouts, right? That's true. Long sleeves, pants, they offer added protection against the insect bites that you might wind up getting, things you know, like tick bites, that, things that can transmit bad things like Lyme disease. That's true. But you know what else you should do? 
What? You should attach um, a bicycle flag to the back of them. <laughs> a bicycle flag to the back of them. <laughs> Remember how in the 70s we used to have bicycle flags? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you just duct tape one of those onto the back of each of your children, you'd probably find them easier. <laughs> well, if you, tape, if you tape playing cards between their legs, then they'll flap. <laughs> they'll, they'll make noises as they walk. I love it. Or maybe a little bell like you have on your cat. <laughs> Cowbell. To, a little... Yeah, no, something a cow to bell. protect get, protect the poor birds. I love against it. Against the cats. You I know. think those are three excellent ideas. Well, there you go. How See? to keep track of your children. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, it might allow other people that were animals to keep track of them too. So, if a bear uh, in the a bear in the vicinity hears bells, we actually hmm. might be interested. Of course, they. But no. But the truth of the matter is, I guess if they're loud enough. That's what that I'm probably uh, and those, repel them. And that flapping from the cards might scare things yeah, like snakes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to I, see. I'd love to see if that works. Actually, if we had a Ta- kid, if yeah. we had a kid, you know that we would. We'd be taping right these after this playing show, cards. Right, we, we would put a flag yeah, and uh, cards and a cowbell so to take a picture. A kid is a, walk, will be a walking would, bicycle. Would be tortured. <laughs> Here, lay down. Mommy has to put a tourniquet on you for this video. <laughs> Maybe the most important tip that we have would be the real estate agent's motto. And what is that? That's location, 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 location. It's true for camping safety, too. You always have to scout any prospective campsite by looking for broken glass and any other garbage that can pose a hazard. You look for evidence of animals or insects nearby, large droppings or wasp nests. Uh, beehives, things like that. If there are berry bushes nearby, you can bet it's on the menu for somebody. That's it might right. even be for bears. We know we know about bears living part-time in Gallenberg. They're furry, but they ain't funny if you're out <laughs> without protection absolutely. anywhere near them. So you absolutely have to be aware of that if you're in an area where there are bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are berries, speaking of bears and berries, that berries that birds and animals can eat are often not safe for you to eat. Not everything is a blackberry or a blueberry. Things There are all sorts of weird berries, um, white berries and other kinds of berries that are strangely colored. I think and I, they look you interesting. To stay away from, yes, and you think, oh, I wonder, wonder if what that's they taste edible. Like. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, the bottom line is you may not do this, but your kids might find them interesting. So just advise the kids to stay away from not only animals, but stay away from putting anything in their mouths. Remember, they're going to be touching stuff. They might wind up touching some poison ivy, and if they touch it to their face, believe me, they're not going to be happy after a very short time. Mm-hmm. So things that are important to do, I would say, before you go out, I think it's really important to always be able to recognize things like poison ivy, poison oak, uh, poison sumac, for poison ivy and poison oak, uh, there's that old saying, leaves of three, let it be, because they usually have little bunches of, they come in leaves of three, so to speak. But it's not just the leaves that have the toxin mm-hmm. that is uh, causes the rash. Uh, that's called urushiol, U-R-U-S-H-I-O-L. Uh, it's everywhere on the plant, and so you just have to be aware that even in winter you may wind up get running afoul of poison ivy. And to deal with that, Fells naphtha soap. That is especially effective in removing the toxic resin if you suspect that somebody was exposed. But also 
there there is a I don't know if it's a myth or if it's true, but they say they say they who's they, they? I want to know who they is. <laughs> I have read that if you bathe with Fell's naphtha soap before you go out, it leaves a little bit of a coating on your skin. And you're less likely to have the toxin actually affect you as badly as if you didn't. So you're not supposed to bathe with Felsnafta soap every day. But if you know you're going out berry picking or hunting or something, you may want to take a bath, a shower, with Felsnafta soap. And then when you get home, you want to shave off the Felsnafta soap, wash your clothes in it, and also, again, bathe with the Felsnafta. The reason is is it's one of the few items. There are some special wipes you can buy, but it's one of the few items, and I think it's a dollar at Walmart. For a big you, bar of soap. For a big bar of soap, you're going to get a lot. It's what they used to wash clothes with on a right. routine basis. Right, you know, basis. we collect, as, as a lot of you know out there, we collect all these old books and old magazines. And in, during World War II and in the 1930s, you would see ads for Fels Naphtha Soap. F-E-L-S hyphen N-A-P-H-T-H-A soap. It was the most common laundry, laundry detergent, detergent used at that time. So your great-grandparents, your grandparents. It was common know, for them. Exactly. They would That's, make laundry soap out of it. But what I was saying is not only clean your clothes, shave. This is what I do when we're in Tennessee and we've been out. Oh gosh! In the trying outdoors, to so trying or or even just trying so to clear our backyard. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I shave it. Right. And you can use it, even a cheese grater would be great on the edge of it because make it really right. small pieces. But after you've got your laundry going, get into a shower and wash yourself head to toe, head to toe with the Fells Nafta. It will help remove the resin. That this is the problem with these toxins from the poison oak, the poison ivy, is they're oily. And so regular soap doesn't get them off. And what you end up doing if you just use regular soap is spreading it around, maybe getting it under your fingernails or on your fingers, and now you get out and 24 hours later you're saying, my gosh, it looks like I just bathed in poison ivy. How did this happen? And what what you actually did by not removing it from your body with the Felsnafta soap or another special soap. I think there's a couple others. Um, but this one's the cheapest. You have just moved it around. You've sort of spread the toxin around your body. And that's why people will say it's spreading. Well, it did spread because of your hands. You actually did the spreading. Or if you don't get it off your clothes and you end up putting your clothes back on the next day... Um, you could get it from that if you didn't remove it. I don't know actually how long the toxin, that resin, stays active on your clothes, but you wash with Felsnafta soap your clothes and yourself, and you will be have much less of a reaction for sure. Absolutely. So that is a great piece of advice, Amy, so I'm glad and definitely glad you mentioned that. Now, of course, fires, uh-huh. campfires mm-hmm. are part of camping, right? And you want to always build your fire, if you, if possible, in an established fire pit and away from any dry brush. I remember the drought conditions that we had that caused a great fire in the uh, Smoky Mountains National Park near our area. And I'll tell you, that was 
due to the carelessness of some young people. This and, and it wound up killing 14 people and wound up destroying thousands of acres of the Great Smokies and nearby areas. So luckily, our our home, which is right by the national park, actually survived. But a lot of other people's homes, just a hundred a hundred homes on our own mountain that uh, our house is on, did not make it through. They were burnt to the actual foundation. It was uh, a scary, scary trip when we yeah, no kidding. when we first came back there after the fire. But you have to remember, campfires. Kids are especially fascinated by them. They yes. like seeing the little crackles and I did seeing things. I burn still do. You and I like both like, yeah, we still love, like flowers. Yeah, that's right. Or fires. So flowers. you better you better watch them closely. Yeah, really, really important to watch the kids closely. You'll be dealing with burn injuries, of course. You should have some burn gel and other materials that would help in that circumstance. By the way, you have to make sure that your food that you're going to cook on the campfire is going to be thoroughly cooked. So thoroughly cooked, but not just partially cooked. I remember that during the Ebola epidemic in West Africa, that they partially cooked bats over some 55-gallon mm. drums and bar- barrels or drums, and sure enough, wound up causing a huge epidemic of Ebola in West Africa, and that was in 2014. But food, by the way, once it's cooked, it's going to impress the animals in the area, and so therefore make sure that you hang them in trees. The, not, not the animals, but the food. Yes, that's <laughs> Don't true. hang the animals uh, <laughs> in such a way that animals can't access the food. Have them hung, and remember, animals are just drawn to food odors. So if you can, use resealable plastic containers if you can. Uh, if you camp near a water source, realize that even the clearest mountain stream may harbor all sorts of critters, microbes like Giardia, a parasite that causes diarrheal disease and dehydration. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. We're going to talk about it later. Um, Water sterilization, basic to any outdoor outing, um, bleach tablets, iodine tablets, uh, portable filters like the Life Straw and the Mini Sawyer. You've got those on your store, right? And, And actually had it on sale, I think. Uh, these are light and effective. They don't hardly add any weight or or bulk to your pack, and they're good to have. Of course, boiling the water first is a good policy in any situation. It's time-consuming, and, and you have to have fuel to burn wood with, but the CDC does believe it's the best way to assure you're killing all of the bugs. Now, few people can look back to their childhood and not remember a time when they lost their bearings. That they got lost maybe in the woods. Usually that's just for a few minutes, but some kids actually wind up getting lost mm-hmm. and uh, having to have searches put, put out for them. And luckily we find most of them, but, you know, the this is an issue. And your kids should always be aware of landmarks near the camp or on the trails. You know how we always talk about situational awareness. We talked about it a few weeks ago when we were talking about active shooters. They should always be aware also, not only situationally, but of their surroundings and the landmarks near the camp and or on the trails that might help them get back to on track to where they need to go to either go back to the camp or to go to wherever the hike is supposed to take them. Uh, a great skill to teach youngsters is how to use a compass. Matter of fact, I found our, our compass. We have a really nice compass, uh, and that is actually in a big plastic 
container, and we haven't used that for a while because we've been going to areas that we know very well. We're familiar well, with, but right. But you know what? I think we should go to a couple of different different hiking oh, no. trails this time around <laughs> and see where we can find it and have the compass. Oh, what am I in see for? What's, Help. See what's going Help. on. <laughs> Next time we go to uh, Great Smoky Mountains, we're definitely going to do that. So make sure your kids have a compass on them at all times and make sure they can have some way of making noise, some way to making a signal. And the loud whistle would be awesome, actually. Mm -hmm. It could be around their neck or it could be a part of their pack. That Just have a loud whistle they can blow if you get separated from the kids. Three consecutive blasts, teach the kids and teach or, or whoever, really, that three consecutive blasts is a universal signal for help. I need help. And that's very important. Now, if the kids are lost, mm -hmm. then you might consider recommending the kids stay in a secure spot. Because if they move around and you're looking for them and they're moving to all sorts of places, it is just a just chaos. I think that's a lesson in uh, Boy Scouts. Is it really? Well, Scouts now. Yep. Don't move. If you, if you, the moment you realize you're lost, stop moving. If you can, if you're in a safe place. The problem is you haven't probably ventured too far from your trail. Right. But if you keep going, it makes it worse and worse and right. worse. It may, it may be your harder distance, to hear these whistles, these your, blasts on right, the Right. Your distance becomes further and further away because you really don't know if you're going towards where you wanted to or away from if you haven't been paying close attention. So don't move if you get lost, if, you're, if you can possibly do it. Of course, if you're in a suburban type park situation, <laughs> you might have cell phone service. So make sure your kids have yes, a cell phone with them. Yes, that is true. You know, that's, that's useful. And some, some of those have uh, GPS, so um, I think most of them these days. Mm -hmm. So uh, that might also help them get to where they want to go. Now, even if you've closed, clothed the kids in protective clothing, they can still wind up with insect bites. So you always should carry some sting relief pads, some calamine lotion, maybe a supply of antihistamines, something like Benadryl. Although remember that if you give people that, they usually wind up getting a little sedated. And you might ask your doctor for a prescription product called an EpiPen. That is an auto-injector product, very, very easy to use. Good idea for anybody, if anyone has ever had a severe reaction or allergy to any kind of toxin like poison ivy or insect bites. They're so easy to use. They're effective. And I, believe me, although they're a prescription product, very few doctors would refuse to write a script for it. For anybody who said they were going to be going out into the great outdoors. Yes. And so... Basically, with an EpiPen, all you got to do is um, uh, open up a, a little catch. Then you just shove it right into the upper outer thigh of the person that's having the allergic reaction. And usually within five minutes, they're better. If they're not better in five to ten minutes, you, you give them a second shot of the, not with the same one, but with, with, a, with a fresh one. A lot of them will come ask in, for a couple. Well, think, a lot of them will doctor. come in two packs. You yes. can buy, actually. Yep. A two-pack. Two-pack Shakur. <laughs> yeah, man. I did not say that. They're wrapping. So, yeah, so you're going to wrap it against your upper outer thigh. And oh, my that gosh. Is a, it's an auto-injector. It injects the uh, epinephrine that is what's going to get you through this allergic reaction. Yes. 
uh, allergic there of course there are mild allergic reactions that uh, occur just at the site of the uh, contact with whatever toxin or allergen that there is but if it's going to be a bad severe allergic reaction or an anaphylactic reaction then people are going to swell they're going to be red they're going to be having all sorts of, of symptoms and signs far away from where the actual contact was so that's very important to know what, whether you're having a severe allergic reaction or not and you could definitely see the difference between a mild and and a severe one right now to repel insects you might want to have some citronella based products that very useful uh, they come in candles and all sorts of different ways little buckets with filled with citronella wax and, and you you could light those of course you can just have if you could grow some citronella in your area you just have some citronella you could actually take the leaves and and rub it against your clothing. Uh, I think it, it's better to, to uh, rub it on your clothing instead of your skin. It absorbs very easily when, whenever possible. It lasts longer on your, on your clothing. Repellents that contain DEET, D-E-E-T, they're also very useful, but not on children that are less than two years old, unless it says so on the actual container. Don't forget to always inspect every day for ticks, or the rash that they often cause. It looks like a bullseye. It starts off as, as a, just a, a red dot. And then every day there's a sort of little wave that goes out in a concentric circle. looks mm -hmm. like a bullseye. And that occurs in the majority of people that develop Lyme disease, which is a disease that's passed by the bite of ticks. The good news is that if you can keep an eye on the kids and the dogs and whoever is uh, out on the trail with you, and you can remove the tick in the first 24 hours, you will rarely contract the disease. It's when the tick's been on there for a while that it has a good chance of passing the Borrelia uh, organism. It's called Borrelia that causes Lyme disease. So what's in your camping first aid kit? You don't have one? Well, I know where you can get a good one at sword.doomandboom.net. But yes. enough with the <laughs> shameless plugs. Besides the usual equipment, and insect repellents, and a way to sterilize water, you're going to want to carry a medical kit to deal with common problems. And this should include antiseptics to clean wounds. Iodine pads will do. Alcohol pads, BZK, these are good antiseptics. Uh, bandages of different types and sizes, things like butterflies, uh, uh, closures, and uh, gauze rolls, and gauze pads. Moleskin is good for blisters. Yep. And uh, ace wraps, good for... <clears throat> Uh, wrapping up sprains and strains and things like that. You want cold packs. That'll help reduce swelling on some of those orthopedic injuries. And if, if it's bad enough, you may want to have to s splint that. And so get yourself a SAM splint, something like a 36-inch SAM splint would be... And they're reusable, which is even better. Your chair is squeaking. I hope people can't hear that. Oh, okay. If you guys hear squeaking of a chair, it's, it's him It's my bones, move, actually. Moving. I think. It's my bones and joints no, that are doing this squeaking and creaking. Well, who can sit still for an hour? You have to move around. To I'm moving around. That's blood right. circulation. I need to. So you don't get clots in your legs. I know. I just have a little bit of blood left. and <laughs> so I needed to get Where'd her, the rest of get it go? To, get to all, oh, it's just sort of turn, um, turn to dust. <laughs> Turns to dust at a certain age. You know what I'm saying? No. Well, anyhow. You, oh, I mentioned burn gel before. You should have burn gel and you should have 
dressings or pads uh, mm -hmm. to cover a burn injury that is nonstick because if you don't get the nonstick brand, they your victims will let you know when you take those oh, off ouch. that you should have gotten them because that will hurt. Yes. Uh, nitrile gloves are good. Uh, that's very important. A lot of people are allergic to latex, so you want to have nitrile gloves, a number of those in your pack. Uh, maybe bandanas or triangular bandages. I love the triangular bandage. You did a great video Thank recently. You. I hope people will take a look at that well, I had on a, our YouTube channel. I had a good person to demonstrate on. A dummy, yeah. You had a, <laughs> it was not a dummy. A dummy. It's a very old a dummy. dummy. And um, but no, you showed several different ways to use it, and there are even more than what we showed. Oh, there's way more. That's right, and so it's an awesome uh, video, and you'll find that at our YouTube channel. The mm -hmm. YouTube channel is Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, and that that's our YouTube channel. Did I hope we talk about how people could get a hold of us? Um, we didn't mention that. No, yet. why don't you do that? But wait, no, let's wait. I want to. No, let me let's just, finish. No, let's go ahead and finish. finish. I just wanted to bring it up so neither of yeah. us. Silly oldsters was yes. the word. Oldsters, oldsters forget Alzheimer's disease. But right. the oldsters with apparently dusty blood. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. So anyhow, you need a bandage, scissors, something to, to cut yes. through areas. So super important. I think that right. is Clothing one of one of the things that's actually forgot most. You're going to find a lot of medical kits out there, and you know trauma and this and that. A lot of them don't have scissors. That's true. Which is freaks me out. Right. At least Got an EMT shirt. Some something, something, something to cut. That's right. You want to have tweezers to remove splinters, ticks, for example. Uh, we've talked in the past on how to remove ticks. Uh, a topical antibiotic cream, not a bad idea. Uh, antihistamines, we mentioned that already. Of course, some pain medicines for or anti inflammatories, things like Advil or ibuprofen, mm -hmm. uh, aspirin, or uh, Tylenol, acetaminophen. Mm -hmm. So these are also good for fevers and things like that. You might want to have some hydrocortisone cream to decrease inflammation and rashes. And uh, animal bites, they say, are, are best cleaned with BZK wipes which uh, I'm not sure I have all the hard scientific data on that, but I have read that in more than one place. And the reason is because it they may, may have, help prevent... It may have some action against the rabies virus. Yes. That's right. I just wanted to give them a rationale as to why they think BZK might be better. Well, we're, we're not very big so, on the... We're not big on the so rationality <laughs> around here. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. About ticks before we mention how people can get in touch with us. So let's say I have a nice big tick that's full of blood. Full of sucking blood. Sucking my blood. Oh. Hopefully not for 24 hours. Gross So me that out. I don't get Lyme disease. But let's say for a couple of hours. So it's nice. And let's just say it's on my forearm. Oh, it's my easy God. Easy place to get. Oh, no. If I smear Vaseline on it and then light it on fire, will that help get the tick off? Well... <laughs> It will. Because that's something I would do. It will do, do a lot. It will do a lot, but it's it's not what you should do. I mean, you could also, uh, you know, pull the pin on a grenade and put it on your arm. But you probably what about a blowtorch. You that probably get the tick yes. Off? You probably don't need to do that. We all you need is that. You a, sure? Because that would be really of, cool to, to put a little drop of Vaseline on it and then light it on fire. <laughs> Well, See, I little, would like little to... Little flames coming out of the top of the tick. I would find it interesting <laughs> to see it done, but then I know I have to deal with it afterwards <laughs> if you did that, so... 
Forget well, you know, it. Well, you buddy. know what happens no after that. Now you've got to dress my burn. Right. Well, <laughs> what I got to do. I got to use the nonstick dressing. Well, now what I got to do. Now what I got to do, since, since you mentioned it, I got to tell people how to do it safely. This is what I want you to do. I okay. want you to get it. Don't tweezers. wait. First of all, don't put Vaseline on it and set it ablaze. <laughs> I was kidding. Get, sort of. Get no. some tweezers. <laughs> get some tweezers. Yes. And I want you to grab the tick as far down, as close to the skin as uh, as possible. Humanly possible. And just lift straight up. Don't do it at, don't pull the thing out at an angle because the mouth parts are very don't frequently. Don't wiggle it out. Right. Right. Because it breaks the mouth parts. The mouth parts stay in there and they may have some organisms that may cause Lyme disease. And okay. you definitely do not want to do that. Of course, if it's been there less than 24 hours, as I said before, it's very unlikely that it will cause Lyme disease. Which is good to know. So check your buddies and check yourself when you come back. Speaking of your buddies, some of your buddies may have some special medical problems. Uh, some members of your family may have chronic issues. I need to WD-40 you know, so, your chair, dude. Yes, you absolutely do. Yeah, um, your personal kit may need some of the additional things that special folks in your party are going to need. Mm-hmm. And so I bet you know I bet you know what you would want to add maybe to our medical kit that I just mentioned. So that's something that you definitely should do that. Add more items to customize the kit so that it, it works for your special and specific needs. Now in an emergency, the most important thing to do is to simply stay calm. Remember, you're armed with the materials that you've packed in your first aid kit. Use them and make sure that you know how to use them. Don't fail to take a first aid course so at least you have the knowledge that is needed to be a medical asset in this kind of situation. If you do this, you'll have the best chance to have a safe and maybe happily memorable camping trip with your family. That's something that I think that you really, really would want. Hey, Dr. Pimple Popper here. Ew. That's me. Yes, what? no, actually, no, it's not. Believe it or not, though, that is the name of a YouTube sensation that actually has her own TV show for, guess what? Yes, popping pimples. It's a female? Doctor, yes, it's a girl. It's a lady. And uh, just look her up, Dr. Pimple Popper. Matter of fact, look her up right now. Okay, I will. And uh, she lances boils and pops pimples and does all sorts of stuff. And it just, there are a lot of people who are just fascinated by doing this. And I know someone that here who enjoys doing that. Uh, if she can find somebody who has a boil or a pimple, she'll pop it. I don't know what you're talking That's about. That's right. Yes. Dr. We're leave. Sandra Lee is the pimple popper. Sandra Lee. Sandra Lee is a <laughs> pimple popper. She was also a singer in the 1950s, but I don't think it's the same person. <laughs> yeah, now, you think? <laughs> oh, that was Sandra D. Actually, my mistake. Now, off the grid... That you... was a TV series. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, she... Well, she started off Television. on YouTube. Television. Started off on YouTube, then, then oh, be... went on then TV. then they made it a series. A series, Isn't right. that hilarious? There yeah. were two seasons. Now, well, that's awesome for her. I bet she's still on YouTube. You can find, you can find her just... Oh, up. yeah, it says... Dr. Pimple Popper. Present. Oh, so there you it's go. currently on... You are squeaking so much, dude. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> my body. I can't help it. Can't help it if my back and my bones is squeaking and okay, creaking. Okay, don't move your body. Just talk. <laughs> okay. Just move your mouth. Off the grid, you might just become the designated pimple popper. Lucky you. And you better know how to deal with nasty bumps and lumps that can be painful and lead to worst infections. A boil is 
what we're dealing with here, what I'm talking about. It's right. an abscess that involves the skin, an abscess uh, or furuncle is another word for it. it, refers to skin and subcutaneous tissue, which is a collection, a collection of pus in the skin or subcutaneous tissues. But you can get an abscess in just about any organ. I've seen abscesses in abdominal organs. I've seen them in the ovary. I've seen them in the liver. I've seen them just, just about anywhere. And you can even have them in places like your gums. You can have tooth abscesses or uh, collections of pus there. Wherever you find them, they're essentially a walled-off pocket of pus. Your body is a pretty good uh, immune system, has a pretty good immune system, and it will wall off infections, and pus is basically the debris left over from your body's attempt to eliminate an infection. It consists of white cells, blood cells, uh, red blood cells, inflammatory fluid, and, and live and dead microbes and bacteria. Oftentimes, in boils, they're staph. Mm. Staphylococcus species kind of critters. I have to tell you, I've been reading some of these episode descriptions. Uh-huh. Oh. Gross, right? No, I can't. I could never watch this. I had an uncle who used to get these things on his back all the time, and when I was a medical student, I did some of my first surgeries on him. <laughs> Now, if the abscess was not caused by an infected wound or a diseased tooth, it's possible that it originated in a cyst. That's what happened with my uncle. That's a hollow structure that's filled with fluid, gets infected, oftentimes related maybe to a hair follicle. And I've seen a bunch of them on the skin and, gosh, just about everywhere. And there are various types of cysts that become infected and they form these boils or abscesses. Now, they're sebaceous. Uh, cysts, and these are skin glands that are associated with the hair follicles, like I mentioned. Usually these are on the torso, or it could be on the face in some cases, and they produce an oily material known as sebum, S-E-B-U-M. Uh, they're inclusion cysts, which occur when the skin lining is trapped in deeper layers as a result of trauma, let's say, or a result of a poor wound closure, and they basically continue to produce skin cells, and they grow, and they can form a cyst. Then there's a really bad one, a pilonidal cyst. These cysts are located over the area of the tailbone, and they're actually due, you actually were genetically predisposed to this. They're due to a malformation during fetal development. They easily become infected and require intervention, and intervention in an area that is not fun to deal with. Now, to deal with an, abs to deal with an abscess, you've got to forge a path to evacuate the pus. And the easiest way to do this is to place warm, moist compresses over the area, also known as ripening the abscess. You want to apply the compress over the area for about 15 minutes or so every couple of hours during the day, and that will help bring the infection to the surface of the skin, where it forms ahead and hopefully will drain spontaneously. The abscess goes from firm to soft as it ripens, and you have to be patient and try not to drain it too early, because... Over the course of time, it'll develop a whitehead pimple. It'll give you a likely point of exit when it's ripe. And um, in medicalese, we call that suppurative. That is loaded with pus. So this bears repeating. You're going to be tempted to squeeze the boil in an effort to relieve the pressure and discomfort. Doing this is going to make the infection worse. However, patience is important, maybe for a few days, to give the abscess a chance to resolve on its own. Now, if a few days go by without spontaneous drainage, well, it may become clearer that a boil or abscess is not going to respond to lesser treatment. You're going to have to intervene surgically. This is called lancing a boil. It is uh, otherwise referred to in medical ease as incision and drainage. 
Always wash your hands, put on gloves before attempting this, or really any other medical procedure. Uh, and what you want to do is you want to clean the area with an antiseptic, apply a numbing agent if possible, even ice would do. You'll need a sharp, sterile instrument like a scalpel, a number 11 blade is probably a good one to use. If you don't have a sterile instrument, you can put a thin blade over a wire until it becomes red hot and then let it cool. Now, using the tip of the scalpel, pierce the skin over the abscess perpendicular to the surface of the skin. The pus should drain freely and your patient will probably experience immediate relief from the release of pressure. Now, sometimes there's a small clamp that you could use, a hemostat or a Kelly clamp, and you, it's useful to break up little <clears throat> compartments in the abscess that we call loculations. And you, what you can do with this is you can deal with a large boil that has all these little compartments in it. And they're not always just one room in that house. There's often right. so many times Could be, right. lots of little rooms in that house. Right. So what you want to do is you want to flush out the wound with lots of saline solution, clean water. Um, that's called irrigation. Uh, a thin gauze moistened with betadine, for example, iodine solution, is then placed into the cavity in the skin that where the abscess was. Um, that comes, by the way, commercially available as something called iodoform packing, I-O-D-O-F-O-R-M packing. So you might look for that and have some of that in your medical supplies. Finally, I want you to apply an antibiotic ointment like Bactroban or even raw unprocessed honey would work pretty well to the skin that surrounds the incision and cover it with a clean bandage. Change the packing twice daily until the abscess cavity fills in on its own, and it actually usually does. Now, it could return. If it does return, it does that multiple times. You actually may have to go in there and actually extract the walls themselves. There's a more extensive procedure that involves sort of dissecting out the wall of the actual abscess. You don't want to do that unless you absolutely have to. Of course, oral antibiotics, great tool to help prevent infection or to treat the, the infection, whether or not you lance a boil, uh, they may be useful. Now, some boils, because they're walled off, may be a little resistant to antibiotics, but it's probably not a bad idea. Anyhow, things like amoxicillin, fish mox, cephalexin, fish flex, erythromycin, fish mycin, these are just some of the options that you'll find in veterinary equivalents. You might consider having some of these in your medical storage. Uh, incision and drainage may be helpful for dental abscesses as well. Unfortunately, it may not save the teeth nearby. We should always check out our website at doomandbloom.net for a number of dental articles. See what should be in a kit to handle these kind of problems. If you're not prepared to deal with dental issues, well, you're just not ready for long-term survival. Now, of course, if you're just worried about three or four days without power, well, that's fine. You don't need this stuff. But if you and your heart of hearts watch the news and think that something is going to happen, that Iran or North Korea might just detonate a small atomic bomb 200 miles up in the atmosphere over Chicago, well, you better be dentally prepared as well as medically prepared. Of course, in normal times, I want you to seek modern medical and dental care whenever and wherever it is available. That's part of our disclaimer in the early part of the show, and it goes for <clears throat> stuff in the later part of the show. Absolutely. Last week, we talked about uh, specifically traveler's diarrhea, but I just want to discuss diarrhea in general and what you can do at home, knowing that it isn't too bad and it probably will resolve itself. Now, if this is happening in infants, 
or elderly or anyone with chronic health problems, definitely seek medical attention much, much earlier than you would for just, say, a normal healthy adult. So keep an eye on folks with diarrhea, but especially those that are small and older or, again, with uh, severe health problems. So what are some things you can do? Things that you might even have sitting around the house, and one of those is tea. I think most of us probably have tea bags. Most of us probably have black tea bags. Not everyone has herbal tea sitting around, but your tea bags are great. They have tannins in them, and tannins help calm down intestinal inflammation, and it also contains an astringent that, again, helps calm down the inflammation. What you want to do is make a tea and add sugar to it. If you think about what's in Gatorade, because that's the thing everyone thinks about, we're going to talk about Gatorade in just a minute, is you're trying to not only get fluid, but you're trying to add along some nutrients, things that you're losing through the diarrhea. And one thing you're losing is sugar and carbohydrates they're flowing straight out of you even if you are able to take them in things are rushing out so fast that your body's not really absorbing it so you want to replace those so a nice cup of black tea with sugar it can be hot or it can be cold it really does not matter whatever feels better on your stomach and sometimes people like a hot tea some people like a warm tea and others prefer the iced tea again that does not matter. Just make sure that you're drinking at least a cup several times a day. Um, if you want to make an herbal tea, blackberry tea is really good. Uh, you can even use some fresh blackberries if you're lucky enough or even some dry bear, uh, blackberries either with the black tea bags or just on its own. You can make just a blackberry tea, which is the blackberries, uh, use about um, a tablespoon of the fresh or the dried to uh, one to one and a half cups of water and boil that for about 10 minutes or simmer it is probably better but simmer it for about 10 minutes so you don't lose all of the water out of the pan cover it up so again you're not losing too much water out and then add some sugar to it of course sweeten it up you need the sugar. You're losing it through the diarrhea. And, again, drink that a few times a day. Raspberry tea is also said to be really good for this. Um, some capsules of golden seal might be helpful. Um, a key herb in there is called um, berbadine. And that's supposed to be effective and it's actually even called an herbal antibiotic. Um, maybe it'll work. If it doesn't cause harm, not a problem. Again, if your diarrhea is not lasting for very long, you're still able to take in some nutrients, you know, some chicken soup and some Gatorade, I wouldn't be too concerned. If you start having severe signs of dehydration, which I believe... Joe covered last week, you need to seek medical attention. If you can't keep up with the fluids going in that are coming out, 
then you're going to end up with dehydration eventually. So you need to keep an eye on that. But if you're going to use the golden seal, take two to three, quote, 125 milligram capsules daily until the diarrhea improves. Some people have stories out there that it really helped them, so you could try it. But the things that you really want to replace, again, we discussed sugar, which is a carbohydrate, but you ought to also want to replace sodium and potassium and chloride. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important just to have your body function properly, but it's especially important because of your heart. Your muscles are based on a balance of those things. And when they get out of balance, you can have heart problems. So in order to rebuild those electrolytes that you've lost, make sure that you drink things like Gatorade, flat soda, including um, ga uh, ginger ale would be really good. Pedialyte works well for children instead of the Gatorade. Chicken broth. If you can tolerate chicken soup with noodles, great. Otherwise, just chicken broth or bone broth. Jello works well. Spoil yourself with something called a brat diet. Bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. You can eat smushed carrots. Avoid foods with roughage. So what you don't want to do is get broccoli and cabbage in there and just stir up things. Replace the bad bacteria that's acting up in there with good bacteria. So drink things like yogurt drinks or eat some yogurt, maybe even sips of kombucha, and you'll find out what that is in the grocery store. <laughs> it's sort of a vinegary, um, soda-based. It's, it's not the best unless you like vinegar. I do drink it. I love it. Um, but that also has live bacteria and culture, so it replaces that and helps you fight it. These are just some of the things that will help you. I hope you feel better if you have diarrhea. This is Nurse Amy. Thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour, and we will see you next week. Thank you. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.